6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of Psalms, chapters 81 through 89. Okay, we're in the uh, book of Psalms, book three. We'll probably finish the book, the, uh, book three sec- segment uh, this evening. We're going to go from Psalm 81 to 89, and uh, so that's, uh, we'll start with Psalm 81. To the chief musician, upon Gittith, a psalm of Asaph. Some argue that a Gittith is another term for uh, Gethsemane or a wine press, but uh, all of, I should say, excuse me, not a wine press, olive press, an olive press. Anyway, sing aloud unto God our strength, make a joyful noise unto the God of Jacob. Take a psalm and bring hither the timbrel, the pleasant harp with the psaltery. Blow up the trumpet in the new moon in the time appointed on our solemn feast day. There is some, uh, uh, ex- some experts that feel it isn't the new moon, it's the full moon, which is the opposite, 15 days later. There's a translational issue here, but in any case, we'll just take it as it says it here. Um, and some, many scholars feel that this psalm focuses on the feast of trumpets. And uh, so the new moon... Even to this day, Jews will go out on the, on, on the roof and, and watch for two stars to, you know, uh, to uh, determine the new moon. It's uh, in Numbers 28 and also Numbers 10 that's dealt with. On the new moon, work is suspended, and uh, the temple was open for worship, but the, the godly received instruction, religious instruction in Second Force Kings. Trumpets were blown at the sacrifices. But it, was, it wasn't necessarily a holy convocation like a Sabbath. Don't misunderstand that. But uh, the seventh new moon was the beginning of the, the civil, was the uh, first of Tishri. In the religious year, the seventh new moon was the first of Tishri, which is two things. It's Rosh Hashanah, the first of the civil year, and it's also the Feast of Trumpets, which is the beginning of the religious year. And uh, so the religious year is on the Feast of Trumpets, but the civil year also starts on that. They're offset, obviously. Between the two of them, the Jews have two calendars: the Genesis calendar, which started in uh, first of uh, Tishri, but then uh, in Exodus 12, the uh, when the tabernacle was established, the month of Nisan was to be the beginning of months. So they really have two calendars. The religious calendar starts in the spring. Anyway, uh, let's just jump into this. For this was a statute for Israel and a law. Of the God of Jacob. This he ordained in Joseph for a testimony when he went through the land of Egypt, where I heard a language that I understood not. I removed his shoulder from the burden, his hands were delivered from the pots. Now, by the way, this language thing is interesting because the language of Egypt was, of course, hieroglyphics, which consists of names of kings and, and false gods and all that sort of thing. We're discovering from some recent discoveries at Jabal al-Laws, there seems to be evidence that when uh, Moses went up 40 days on the Mount of Sinai, that he came back not just with the law, but with an alphabet. 
that God actually gave them an alphabet. Thou shalt make no, thou shalt make no graven image means you're not going to use that stuff you learned, not that, a different alphabet. That this unusual alphabet that, that then becomes the Hebrew alphabet has got some very peculiar properties. I won't take the time to get into this here now, but just to understand it's absolutely distinctive and unique because it carries not just phonetics but concepts. Most, most alphabets just carry, are used to shape the sound of words, and from that you, you, you learn what the words mean. In the uh, Hebrew, you can infer what the, the word means by the composition of the letters because they carry concepts as well. as a very, di very distinctive letter in a lot of ways. Anyway, so it's interesting. Where I heard a language that I understood not. That's in Egypt. I removed a shoulder from the burden. His hands were delivered from the pots. Thou callest in trouble, and I delivered thee. I answered thee in the secret place of thunder. I proved thee at the waters of Meribah. Now Meribah, of course, is where he struck the rock, and they got the water and all that. Salem. So another reference to that issue. Hear, O my people, and I will testify unto thee, O Israel, if thou wilt hearken unto me. There shall no strange God be in thee, neither shalt thou worship any strange God. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people would not hearken to my voice, and Israel would have none of me. So I gave them up unto their own heart's lust, and they walked in their own counsels. Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me, and Israel had walked in my ways. I soon should have subdued their enemies and turned my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord should have submitted themselves unto him, but their time should have endured forever. He should have fed them also with the finest of the wheat, with honey out of the rock, which I have satisfied thee. That's it. A little praise uh, psalm, what, he, what, what might have been, if I can put it that way. God judges the judges, we're going to see now. And uh, this is a psalm that has been widely misunderstood. A critic who denies the deity of Jesus Christ will turn to the psalm and ridicule it. It's another prophetic psalm that looks to the future of God's earthly people, Israel. We're going to see here in Psalm 82. A psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will he judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. You're dealing here with the rule of law. See, the big problem in our own contemporary society is not so much with the criminal as it is with the judges and the breakdown of law and order. As we survey our horizon, we see the schools degenerate. We look at, we look at the economy, and it's in, in more jeopardy than most people realize. Uh, we can look at every segment. One of the most disturbing segments is the breakdown of law and order. It's really a shocking to realize that, that um, the corruption that's widespread at the highest levels, the highest levels of our government and how uh, so much is being done without totally outside due process. It's interesting to see how the corruption increases, how issues of evidence become more important than the guilt or innocence of the, of the accused. And on it goes. People who are innocent get incarcerated. When I had a tour of Angola prison, largest penal institution in, in, the, in the country, the warden confided in me that he believes that half the people there don't belong there. That's not his job. He doesn't get into that, but that's his view. Half. Out of 13 people on death row, nine of them had pardons that the, government won't, that the governor won't sign. 
And the other side of the coin, if you're rich enough and well-known enough, you can get away with murder. I don't have to name names. It is strange that the breakdown of law and order has begun with the legal profession and not really with the criminal element. Our biggest problem in jurisprudence is not with the crooks, it's with the, the legal structure. And that's, that's it. The average American today is more afraid of attorneys than he is terrorists because of the need for tort reform and all the rest. Here's the verse that bothers so many people. It says, I have said, ye are gods. All of you are the children of the Most High. What does he mean, ye are gods? Jesus quoted this verse to the Pharisees when they questioned his deity. What does he mean by this? See, they accused him of blasphemy because he made himself God. The word Elohim, gods. That's in John 10. Jews answered him saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because thou being a man has makest himself God. And Jesus answered him, Is it not written in your own law? I said, Ye are gods. If he called them gods, unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, Thou blasphemous, because I said I am the Son of God? If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. See, Jesus, what he's saying to them is because they were sitting in judgment, when one sits in the place of judgment, they are taking the place of God in that situation. Now, many, of, many saints are guilty of the same thing. You need to realize what he's saying there. That in a sense, in a metaphorical sense, at least, you're playing God by being, in, being a judge. 1 Corinthians 4. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not of mine own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet I am not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. We have a lesson of parents. Proverbs 20, My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. Right? Interesting question. What is worse than going to hell? Think about that. What is worse than going to hell? One suggestion. Hearing your son's voice, you say, what are you doing here? I'm following you, Dad. Think about it. Many children will be going to hell because of the direction of their parents. Let's move on to Psalm 82, verse 7. But ye shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Okay, that's a shorty. Let's go to Psalm 83, and, it's cry, and again, a cry for judgment. A psalm from Asaph again. Keep not thou silence, O God. Hold not thy peace, but, and be not still, O God. For lo, thine enemies make a tumult, and they that hate thee have lifted up the head. They have taken crafty counsel against thy people and consulted against thy hidden people. They, 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 have not, they have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may, no, may be no more in remembrance. For they, should, they have consulted together with one consent, they are confederate against thee. The tabernacles of Edom, the Ishmaelites, and of Moab, the Hagarites, Gabal, and Ammon, and Amalek, the Philistines with the inhabitants of Tyre. Asher also is joined with them. They have helped or succored or strengthened uh, the children of Lot, Selah. These are all the classic enemies. 
Asher, of course, is Assyria. Children of Lot would be Moab and Ammon, the, the uh, offspring of incest of Lot and his daughters. At the present time, Israel is surrounded by so-called Arab nations, to use the press term. They're joined together by Islam, not by ethnic or geographic issues. But they're called Arabs, nevertheless, by the press. Verse 9, do unto them as unto the Midianites, as to Sisera and Jabin at the brook of Kisson. Those were major defeats, as you may know from the book of Judges. Which perished at Endor, they became as dung for the earth. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, yea, all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna, who said, let us make to ourselves the houses of God in possession. Oh, my God, make them like a wheel, as the stubble before the wind, as the fire burneth a wood, and as the flame setteth the mountains on fire. So persecute them with thy tempest, and make them afraid with thy storm. Fill their faces with shame, that they may seek thy name, O Lord. What's the Hebrew word for shame? Hamas. Kind of interesting. Let them be comforted and troubled forever, yea, let them be put to shame and perish, that men may know that thou, whose name alone is Yehovah, or Yehovah, to put it in the, in the Ketogamaton, art the most high over all the earth. That's in contrast, of course, to Al-Ilah, the moon god, the god of Islam. Apparently, the only way the world is going to know that God is God is for him to move in judgment. And that is coming. Okay, Psalm 84. Again, we're going to desire God's house. This is the Levitical section here. All through here, we hear about the sons of Korah, the Psalm for the sons of Korah. They served, you, you, you know, obviously, uh, the, 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 uh, the, if you look at the divisions of the porters, the Korahites and the sons of Asaph were in First Chronicles 26. It's all laid out for you. Korah himself led a rebellion, you may recall, against Moses, and he was judged for it. But by the grace of God, his sons, his descendants, still serve in the tabernacle in the temple of God because they're Levites. And these strong, robust Levites guarded the tabernacle, and later they watched over every entrance to the temple. First Chronicles 26 lays that all out, if you recall. Okay, let's jump into Psalm 84 to the chief musician on the Giddith, the psalm for the sons of Korah. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found a house, and the swallow, and as for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Remember, one, not one sparrow can fall, but that the Father sees it, right? Remember that, Matthew 10? Actually, the language is stronger than that. It actually says the sparrow falls into the lap of your father. He knows all about it. That's what it really says. Anyway, blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee, Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them, who is passing through the valley of Baca, make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. The word baka is actually a balsam tree, but it's distinctive in that the sap oozes through the, the, the bark like, like tears. And so it's, it's a phrase that any man can speak of any difficult place in life and so on. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Behold, our, O God, our shield. Look upon the face of thine anointed. 
For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. So this is a, a uh, um, glorious psalm. And uh, it's, of course, a, a very big rebuke to many of us. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Wow, is that really true? Is that really true? In your life, is it really true? O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. These are incredible psalms. Psalm 85, we're again looking at the future restoration of Israel. A psalm for the sons of Korah. O Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sins. Selah, this obviously is yet future. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. But let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh to them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. You know, I once heard that in a speech. Lyndon Johnson used that in one of his speeches. It came across to me as kind of a cornball expression. I didn't, re- didn't realize at the time he was actually quoting from the Scripture. Still didn't make sense the way he used it. Partly because mercy and truth I haven't met. Righteousness and peace haven't kissed each other. They're not even on speaking terms. Okay. We can't have peace in the world because we don't have righteousness in the world. Until things are right, there won't be peace. So this is obviously talking, this is millennial, despite what some politician might try to use to, endo- to embroider his presentation. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. <clears throat> yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield or increase. Righteousness shall go before him, and shall set us in the way of his steps. Yes, that's devoutly to be wished. Now here's a psalm of David. David prays for the future of the kingdom in Psalm 86. And it's interesting that we're going to see some interesting names of God here. We've seen in previous psalms, Elohim, that speaks of God as the creator, prominent in Genesis, of course. Yodhe sometimes said, spoken of as Jehovah, which speaks of God as Savior. We've seen those all through the psalms. We're going to see seven times in this psalm another word. Adonai, which in the English translation would say Lord. Often a Jew, when reading his text, when he comes across Yodhe will say Adonai. He'll, he'll use the word Lord instead of the Yodhe Other rabbis will just say the letters Yodhe um, try Because it's the unpronounceable name of God, presume, apparently. And so Adonai is a substitute phrase in some places, but here it's actually used, Adonai is used. Um, in uh, in the uh, in the in the uh, text, because an Orthodox Jew never pronounces Yod Hey Vav Hey; just he'll use the letters typically. 
Okay, it's a prayer of David. We're back to David. We've had uh, uh, others, Asaph and Korah and so forth, sons of Korah. Bow down thine ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. We have the word Adonai here, right? Preserve my soul, for I am holy. O thou, my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, O Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. These are great promises here. Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of trouble, I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. Boy, that's great stuff. Among the gods there is none like unto thee, O Lord. Neither are there any works like unto thy works. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. That, of course, is in the millennium, not yet. For thou art great and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Now, a lot of these things are messianic. This one certainly is not. This is something you can't apply this to Lord Jesus. He never needed to pray a prayer like this. He came to do his Father's will. But this verse can apply to you and me. We need to be taught God's way and his truth. Our hearts need to be united to fear his name. So that verse 11 is a key verse for us. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Devoutly to be wished. I will praise thee, O Lord, my God, with all my heart. I will glorify thy name forevermore. For great is thy mercy toward me, and thou hast delivered my soul. Boy. Thou hast delivered my soul in the Hebrew from the, from the lowest hell, actually. F.W. Grant makes an interesting point that I want to insert here. He says, how few can say with Paul, this one thing I do. Remember how he says that. We're, we're all on the road, not at least intentionally, off it. But we stop to chase butterflies. See, we're on the right road, but we stop to chase butterflies among the flowers. We make no serious progress, yielding ourselves with scarce thought to endless trifles. Lighter than a thistle down to which the child spends all his strength and we laugh at him. If we examined our lives carefully in such an interest as this, how we would realize the multitude of needless anxieties or self-imagined duties, of permitted relaxations, of innocent trifles, which incessantly divert us from that which alone, in which alone is profit. How few, perhaps, would care to face such an examination day by day of the unwritten history of our lives. Interesting. How we get consumed with the trivia. O God, the proud are risen against me, and the assemblies of the violent men have sought after my soul. I have not set thee before them. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious and long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. O turn unto me and have mercy upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servant and save the son of thine handmaid. Show me a token for good that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed. Because thou, O Lord, has hope in me. That means strengthened or support me and comforted me. 
See, the first thing that Paul said after he was converted, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? In Acts chapter 9, verse 6. That was the first thing he said. Okay, I'm saved. Now, what do you what, what have you do? I often ask an audience, how many of you are saved? All the hands go up. What have you done with it? And they look at me startled. God didn't save you. That, that, that's not an end point. It's a beginning point. Thomas says, teach me thy way, O Lord. That's our first step. What would you have him do? Teach. Psalm 32, 8. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way that thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye, he says. Okay, Psalm 87. This is on Zion, the city of God. Again, the sons of Korah psalm here. His foundation is the holy mountains. The Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Wow. Glorious things are spoken of thee, O city of God. Selah. Pause, consider. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning... Ju- oh, excuse me, I'm going to flash back a couple of verses I stuck in here because we're talking about Zion. When you go to Isaiah 2, the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all the nations shall flow unto it. Zechariah, too, says a similar thing. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord, and many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. And I will dwell in the midst of thee, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto thee. So these are all, this is consistent with what the psalmist is saying. Then he goes on, the psalmist continues now, Psalm 87, verse 4. I will make mention of Rahab. This is not Rahab the harlot. This is a different phrase. Rahab and Babylon, to, know, to them that know me. Behold, Philistia and Tyre and Ethiopia. This man was born there. The word Rahab here is, is a term used for Egypt, by the way. It's not obvious, okay? It's not Rahab the harlot, if you will. And of Zion it shall be said this, and that man was born in her, and the highest himself shall establish her. The Lord shall count when he writeth up the people that this man was born there. Selah. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Psalms. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. Or you can call us on 1-800-KHOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Mm -hmm.